change, huh? <laughs> Summer's coming. All right. All right, kids. So God bless you guys as you go to Treasure Seekers. Hey, I have a, a couple of announcements I wanted to share with you, church. So if you're a guest with us, we want to welcome you here. Uh, we're really thankful that you're here with us. Uh, we hope you find us to be a safe and, and fun place to be, uh, as well as a uh, life-giving place to be. So a couple things to mention to you. Uh, today, during the second service, uh, there is a meeting uh, for parents that might have uh, children or friends who have some special needs. Uh, we know that that's a, an area that touches many in our church, and so... Uh, we wanted to make sure that there was a little informational meeting about what that, that special needs class might actually look like and what would be needed. So just letting you know that that's happening uh, next service. So feel free to stick around. Uh, and then obviously you've seen the news, you've seen the media. Um, I don't know how often it is, but every so often there is some kind of attack on a church uh, or a religious institution. And so uh, coming up on June 15th, uh, it's just a couple hours, they're having a, a security roundtable over at Calvary Chapel. Uh, we'll be talking about that in the future here at our church and what we're doing to make sure those things are happening. Because um, it takes about seven or eight minutes for the police to get notified and then get here if there was something happening. So um, that's a lot of time. Uh, so I would encourage you, if you're interested in that, you want to know more, show up at that roundtable. Uh, and Mona uh, is going to read here for us in a little bit, but um, she's leading a class on Rahab for ladies. So there's a Bible study that's happening during the summer. So just make sure you, that, uh, ladies, you have a chance to, to know that that's coming. And then we're still working on our Taste of Mission stuff, so that's going to be out here pretty soon. So June 22nd and 23rd, that weekend, we're going to scatter the church and go love people. Uh, it's one of the greatest things that we get to do. Uh, so just to give you a little taste of what mission is like, all that stuff is on the info page on our website as well. So that's our announcement. So I'm going to have Mona come. Uh, she's going to read our scripture for us. So if you guys would open up to Colossians, we're almost done. So we've been working on this book for a long time. Uh, just four little chapters that has so much to say. So Mona's going to come in and read for us today. Could we stand up just out of reverence for God's word? I'd like to make a little disclaimer before I even start reading. This passage has tons of crazy names in it. Crazy names. Yet... As I was uh, reading it through to share it today, I couldn't help but think as Paul was finishing up this letter and thinking of the church that he was uh, writing this to, he must have thought, oh, what about this person and what about that person? And, and I was thinking if I was writing that, you know, I'd be like, oh, please tell Paige, blah, 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 and make sure you tell Rosie this, 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 and how's Michael and Heather doing? Like, like that same kind of thing. So as I'm reading it, I want you just to read the love between every line. There's so much love between these lines. So, Colossians 4, 7 to 18. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him is Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, 
these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and here in Hierapolis. Well, I knew I'd mess that one up. Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and to the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with, with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray together. Father God, as we read this very loving part of this letter of Colossians that Paul penned, we still know it is your inspired word. And that there is much in it for us living today. So Father, as this teaching is going um, today, we pray that our hearts and our minds and our hands and our lives are open to truth and that we grow in it for the calling and the purposes you have for our lives. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mona. You can have a seat. Right here is good. All right, so next week, uh, Isai is going to be with us, and he's going to be finishing up the book of Colossians. Uh, and in June, we're going to be starting a new series. Uh, and the series in June, it's going to be a short series, really, just for that month going into the first week of July. Uh, but we're going to be focusing on God and what it means for us to encounter him. And so looking biblically at what does it mean to, to be with God, to encounter God. So we're going to be doing that through the month of June. And I'm telling you that because I want to give you a heads up that the order of our services, not the times of our services, but the order will change a little bit. So for some of you who plan to be here, you know, around 15, uh, 10 to 15 minutes after the service, uh, I would recommend that you get here on time, make a special effort through the month of June uh, to get in this room on time, uh, because if you miss uh, maybe the first 10 minutes, you're going to miss a significant part uh, of what is going on for the rest of the service. So wanted to give you a heads up, uh, a heads up on that. But for this week, uh, for this week, we're going to be finishing uh, chapter four, uh, and I, I'm excited about this teaching uh, because I'm going to do more of a Bible study, less of a, a sermon, less of preaching, more of let's read through the scripture together, make a few comments uh, on it, because really what I want to do is get some people up here uh, to help me tell the same sort of story that Paul is telling uh, in Colossae. We're going to tell the story of what God is doing around here. So um, let me introduce it this way. Have you ever been part of a band of brothers? Maybe you were on a team. Uh, maybe you were in a, a service role where you are with a tight uh, community of people that you face some sort of adversity, some sort of challenge. You were united in, com in a common purpose. 
Uh, so in that, you are enjoying some sort of uh, like, like camaraderie together, uh, right? So you were, you were a band of brothers. You were a group of people uh, that you were together. And usually, uh, this happens as you struggle to accomplish something together, right? So adversity brings that, brings that group uh, together. Uh, in recent history, uh, this phrase has been uh, made popular uh, through a movie series, actually it was a HBO a special uh, called Band of Brothers, uh, which was based on a nonfiction book by Stephen Ambrose. I read his book, and it uh, was a series that dramatized the events of Easy Company, uh, which was the second battalion of the 506th Parachute Infantry Regiment of the 101st Airborne Division. Uh, and so it, it follows their story from boot camp and all the way through to when uh, Japan uh, surrendered at the end of uh, World War II. And what, what Paul does here as he closes his letter is he talks about his band of brothers. He talks about his group that is, that is uh, serving side by side. They are working together, uh, his band of brothers that, that are helping the, the church of Colossae and the, and the kingdom of God advance in the first century. And, he, and this band of brothers is working together to help uh, accomplish what Paul had been praying about, that this group would grow up in maturity that they would learn to see Jesus that is above all things and in every moment. And Paul needed a team around him in order to accomplish the work that God had in store for him. And so Paul's little band of brothers is operating on three fronts. Click, there it is. Apparently I have to say it and then it clicks. Um, operating on three fronts. Um, so you, you get an idea of where they're going to be. The three fronts, one is in Colossae. There's a group of people that are there in Colossae. You also have Paul uh, with a group that is in Rome. So you have the, the home front here. You have the Roman contingency here. And then you have uh, two guys that are traveling um, from Rome to Colossae. So those are the three fronts uh, that we're going to see in as Paul closes his letter that describes uh, his his band of brothers. And Paul takes the time to introduce his band of brothers uh, by name uh, and by function in terms of what they're doing. Uh, so I want to take the time to pay attention to their story this morning. And, and in doing that, what I hope will happen by the grace of God is you will see that what God does is he takes a diverse group of people in order, to, in order to accomplish the advancement of his kingdom in a certain place, in a certain day, and by certain means. And so just like what God was doing in the first century in Colossae, he's also doing now uh, in 2019 uh, in South Jersey. And hopefully we're going to get to see some, some storylines that encourage us and some ways in which we can participate in what God is doing around here. All right, so our first, our first front is uh, group one, the bearers of the letter. So there's two guys that represent the bearers uh, of the letter uh, that Paul is sending to the church in uh, Colossae. Uh, so Tychicus uh, is one of them. Uh, so he's, he has a certain job that he's supposed to do. He's mentioned in Acts chapter 20. He's a native of Asia, uh, and he's accompanying Paul on his journey to Jerusalem 
in Acts. And he's a good choice of a messenger because look at the characteristics that describe him. He's, be, he's a beloved brother, he's a faithful minister, and he's a fellow servant. So being a brother doesn't mean that's his biological brother. That means that he is in the same family uh, of Paul, which is the family of God, right? So he's a brother with Paul. He's a fellow Christian. <coughs> he's, also, uh, he's also a faithful minister, so uh, when, when that says minister, don't get confused. That's not a technical term for clergy. Uh, what it means simply is that he is in, in terms of the kingdom of God. He is in, in terms of serving Jesus. So he's working alongside, he's a faithful minister. And then it says he's a fellow servant. It indicates that like Paul, uh, Tychicus belongs uh, not to himself, but he has given himself to God and to his purposes, right? Which I, I love that. I love that um, you see these things about uh, Tychicus here, but one thing that you don't see about him, one thing you don't see about him is that he has some official title. He has some official capacity, right? He's not the, the bishop. He's not the elder. He's just a fellow servant He's just a fellow servant with Paul. He doesn't hold a particular office, but Paul leans on him for a very significant purpose. What Paul is wanting to do is to create a link between what's going on with him in Rome, right, and this church at Colossae so that they feel the blessing of his leadership even though he's not physically with them. And in order to accomplish that, Paul is sending two guys, and Tychicus is one of those guys. He's sending them for the express purpose that they, you see that it says there? I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you would know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So Tychicus is showing up so that they would be encouraged and be aware of what Paul is up to. The second guy that's a letter bearer uh, is Onesimus. Uh, something just happened, Chris. We there? There's Onesimus. Thank you. Um, do you want to just take it, control of it back there? Because I'm not getting a reaction from the remote here. All right, so uh, Onesimus. Um, so you might, you might be familiar with his story. We find out about Onesimus quite a bit in the book of uh, Philemon. Right? And what happened is Onesimus is a runaway slave uh, that met up with Paul in Rome. And so Paul is sending him back to fulfill his responsibility. It could be that Onesimus uh, owes a debt to Philemon. And so in order to pay off that debt, he has become a slave within his household. And so he's met Jesus, right? He's a follower of Jesus, but Paul met him in Rome. And so Paul is sending him back. So that's how we reconstruct a little bit of Onesimus's story. Um, and so for him to get a recommendation from the Apostle Paul, where Paul says he's a faithful and a beloved brother, right? So he's elevating Onesimus to the same status as himself, and this is the Apostle Paul, right? So this is a big deal for Onesimus um, to get this sort, of, uh, this sort of recommendation by the Apostle Paul. And so it could be that uh, Onesimus is going back with the letter to Philemon, his former master that he had run away from. Uh, and I want you to know, uh, first century slavery 
had nothing to do with race. So when we hear slavery, we think of our own uh, American history. That's a very different picture of slavery uh, where they were uh, in American history. There's the issue of uh, being considered less than human. Like it's, it's very gross. What they're doing in first century slavery is not the same, is not the same thing. Still was broken system, uh, but it is not, uh, don't read our history uh, onto theirs. Um, so the church already knows Onesimus. Uh, it says that he was one of them, so he's from that particular area. Um, and so Tychicus is coming with him, perhaps, uh, in order to give him moral support, because this is a big deal for Onesimus to come back home to resubmit himself um, to the leader that, uh, that he had run away from. If you want to find out more uh, about his story, you can go ahead and read the next book, uh, which is uh, Philemon. That'll tell more of Onesimus' story. Um, but what Paul does for him, and I want you to see this, I want you to hear this, is he assures the church that this one, that Onesimus, right, is one of their own. He is a brother, right? So you treat him on par of, of treating me. I just love the power of that. Right? I mean, we're in a community, you know this, that there's people that come into this community and they feel somehow second class, right? So it takes a leader like Paul in moments like this to say, this is a brother. He's, he's, one, of, he's one of us. So I love that Paul is elevating the status of Onesimus. So that's the letter bearers, right? So we get introduced to the first two uh, and their job description is that they're gonna tell them everything that is uh, everything that's going on. All right, so next, uh, we have the Roman contingency. So the Roman contingency uh, is the group of those, sorry, I took it back. Uh, the group of those who are, um, the Roman contingency are those that are with Paul and they're gonna send their greetings, right? So they're sending their greetings. So the first one uh, is Aristarchus. Uh, Aristarchus is a Macedonian from Thessalonica. We find out about his story in Acts 19 and Acts 20 and Acts 27. He's one of Paul's traveling companions. Uh, and Paul describes him here uh, as his fellow prisoner. So apparently Aristarchus is in prison with Paul uh, in Rome. And so they are, maybe they're cellmates, I don't know, but they are in prison, they're in prison together. Um, and it suggests that literally he's there, he's there with them. And so he sends his greetings uh, as well as does Mark. Now, Mark, uh, we're not sure if this is the same Mark that wrote the gospel of Mark. I tend to think that it is, uh, but I can't be 100% sure on that one. Um, but we do know that this is Mark, who is the cousin of Barnabas, and he's sending his greetings. Um, and Mark was a member of the Jerusalem church, uh, and so he has some important relatives like, uh, like Barnabas. Now, what's interesting about Mark's story is he has a somewhat checkered past uh, as it relates to being a career missionary. So he went on Paul's first missionary journey, but he didn't last very long. Uh, and so in Acts 15, it tells the story of, of where Mark then deserted uh, Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey. So in Acts chapter 15, when it tells of them going on their second missionary journey, you know, his cousin Barnabas is like, hey, let's take 
Let's take Mark. And Paul's like, not a chance. That guy didn't stick through the first one. I'm not giving him a second shot. Um, And so there's a division between Paul uh, and Barnabas uh, over, uh, over Mark, joining them. And so Barnabas leaves with Mark, goes on a missionary journey. Paul leaves with Silas, and they, they split ways. Um, so apparently, uh, Mark is being rehabilitated both as a worker for the gospel and as a companion of Paul uh, as he is giving instructions um, for them to welcome him. Right? It says that uh, this is the guy that you've gotten uh, received instructions about. So when he shows up, be kind to him. Maybe they had heard the story of Mark abandoning Paul, and maybe as Paul was telling stories about you know, his first missionary journey, that was a hardship. So he has to give them a heads up of, hey, like, like be careful. Greet this guy. This is the one I was giving you some instructions about. So Barnabas was, of course, a better known. Uh, He was pretty well known in the early church. So the fact that Paul is connecting Mark with Barnabas is, again, trying to recommend him uh, to the church at Colossae. Because if Mark is associated with Barnabas, then that makes him uh, somehow a little bit more stable in their eyes. So Paul is mentioning that to them. The third greeting comes from uh, a guy named Jesus. It's a rough name to live up to. Um, But he's also called Justice. Uh, And he's the only one present in the list of names uh, here that doesn't show up again in the letter to Philemon. Uh, So we don't really know much about, uh, we don't know much about justice other than that he's with Paul and he sends his greetings uh, and that he is Jewish. So these three uh, are the only uh, Jews among the group that are with uh, Paul. Um, So Paul mentions that to them as well. Then we get to meet Epaphras which you've already heard about him. Uh, Epaphras is the pastor at Colossae, but at this point in time, he's with Paul in Rome. Uh, And so he's wanting to make sure uh, that he sends his greetings uh, over to, guys gotta click ahead there, um, to verse 12. Next one, there you go. Uh, Epaphras, um, he's sending his greeting along. He was the one who had originally preached to the church in Colossae. Uh, And he was bringing news to Paul about what was going on and what was happening. And so this letter is most likely a response by Paul to the message uh, that Epaphras had been bringing uh, to him about what's going on in the church. Um, He, like Onesimus, is one of you. He's part of the church at Colossae. That's where he's from. Uh, And presumably, uh, he had become a follower of Jesus in Ephesus, been trained under Paul, and then sent back uh, to minister uh, in Colossae. Um, And he sends his greetings, uh, and like Paul, he's wrestling in prayer over this church. One of the things that he is doing is he's praying over uh, his people that God has given him to shepherd. And so uh, Paphras is praying for them, Uh, He's praying that they would understand what God is doing in order to live lives that are according to uh, the maturity that God has in store for them. Um, And Paul vouches for him. Paul says, listen, even though he's not with you, trust me, he's working hard for you. And for those of you who are in Laodicea, right, so uh, what I want you to see here is uh, he's talking not just about the church at Ephesus, or not just about the church at Colossae, but the church at Colossae had some regional influence. And so he's saying even this pastor uh, is working hard for those in Laodicea, which is a few miles down the road, as well as Areopolis, 
and then a little to the north of Laodicea, that's where that is. Uh, though no, not physically present, Epaphras has a vision for gospel influence in that region, and he's laboring in prayer to make it a reality. All right, so those are the ones uh, that send their greeting. And then there's two more greetings that come. Uh, these are from uh, Luke uh, and Demas. So Luke, you've heard of him. Luke is the writer of uh, the Gospel of Luke as well as the book of Acts. And so Luke is a careful uh, historian. And it's in this passage of scripture uh, that we find out that Luke is a physician. Um, so Luke is a physician. He's careful. He's considerate. So as he writes his gospel, he's paying attention to the things that are going on, gathering stories of Jesus, gathering stories uh, of what Paul is doing. And so that's why we get the gospel of Luke as well as the book of Acts. Last guy to send greetings is Demas. This is the only thing we find out about Demas. Don't go there yet. This is the last thing we find out about Demas. Uh, is uh, here at the end of 14. They don't say anything else about him at Colossae. Um, but uh, this letter was written probably in uh, somewhere in the first century in the 50s. Paul's last letter was written in the 60s. Uh, and his last letter was uh, the second letter to Timothy, who's a pastor in the church at Ephesus. And so we get another mention of Demas uh, in 2 Timothy, uh, and it's not such good news about him. If you could now move to the next slide. Uh, and it says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Um, so we, we find out that Demas uh, has departed. Demas has loved the world um, more. So there's this cryptic allusion to his desertion. Right, so at this point in time, Demas is one of the band, one of the group. Uh, he seems to be uh, sending his greetings. He's working with Paul. Uh, but then we find out later in life that it seems that Demas, uh, he walks away uh, from his faith journey and he deserts, uh, he deserts Paul. So that's those that are part of the Roman contingency. Uh, now, the final group that I want to mention is the home front. Right, so this is the final band of brothers is uh, who shows up on the home front. And so this is verses 15 to 17. So Paul asked uh, to give his greetings to the brothers of Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Um, so apparently uh, there were uh, churches that were networked together in order to bring regional influence uh, and the churches were meeting in homes. This was a very common practice. Uh, they didn't have uh, church buildings that they should, could gather in. Uh, and so they were meeting in homes. Uh, and so uh, Nympha is one of uh, those house church leaders. And so Paul is wanting to make sure uh, that she is, uh, she's greeted. Also, notice that Paul urges uh, that the, the message be shared uh, among the other churches, right? So the church of Laodicea, see that they get to read uh, the letter from the Laodiceans. So uh, there's obviously another letter uh, that has been written. This could be, uh, this could be the letter of uh, Ephesians uh, that Paul is referring to. Uh, we're not 100% sure, but it also could be a letter that didn't make the New Testament because maybe it wasn't one of Paul's best. 
Maybe he uh, didn't have a very good letter, so that one didn't make it into the New Testament canon. Uh, But the point is that Paul is saying, listen, what I'm sharing with you, share among the churches together. And then we see one final nod to Archippus. See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. We find out in Philemon uh, uh, 1-2 that uh, Archippus is part of another house church. He's another house church leader ministering in Colossae. At this point in time, most likely he's filling in for Epaphras, um, but it seems like he needs a little encouragement to stay on task. Uh, He needs to get focused. So he exhort, Paul exhorts all of his readers, which I find this funny, right? So could you imagine you getting a letter and to exert a, you know, a pastorate leader or one of you, so all of you are saying, hey, make sure you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord, right? So apparently he needed to be encouraged to stay on task and to complete the work that God has given him. And whatever his problem was, uh, we don't know, uh, but it sounded like he needed a little, um, oh, what is, Lois calls it a size six uh, therapy, you know, a little, little kick. Hey, buddy, let's stay on, let's stay on task. Um, so Paul wants him as well uh, to grow into maturity. Then the last thing that Paul does is he signs his letter. So I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, remember my chains, grace be with you. So most likely Paul didn't write the rest of the letter. Um, He had an amanuensis, somebody that would write it down for him as he spoke it, Uh, but then he would grab the quill and he would sign uh, in his own hand. Um, And then uh, as is his custom, uh, he calls calls them to prayer, um, calls them to a reminder uh, to, um, to remember his chains, be attentive to, uh, to that point of brokenness that he's experiencing. And then he blesses them with grace. Grace be with you. Uh, and that's how Paul signs off on his letter, which is typical for the Apostle Paul. That's everybody. That's the band of brothers. That's the team that Paul has that is bringing um, regional and global influence um, for the gospel. Um, so, so that's them. They are the workers in the first century that are looking to provide regional influence. So we saw that there's a network of churches, and we also saw that it's a mixed group of leaders, right? We see some that are struggling, and they're in need of encouragement. We see some that are, uh, are not official leaders in the church, but they have a significant role, even though they don't have a title, but they have things that God has called them to do. Some, have, uh, some are, are being restored from past ministry failure. Some are dealing with past sin uh, that they're having to walk in repentance over. Some are currently under the influence of being seduced by by something that is less than God's best for their lives, like Demas. But as a group of leaders, what you see in the first century here, this band of brothers is a group of people that are contending for the faith in the place that God has planted them. It's a band of brothers and a sister that as as Chris preached last week, Uh, are looking for open doors for the word of God, 
right? They're looking for open doors for the gospel of Jesus to be advanced. That's the, the disposition, that's the posture. They're walking in wisdom with those who are considered outsiders or marginalized, right? So that's what this group of leaders is doing. That's what we saw earlier in chapter four that Chris preached on uh, just a week ago. So after last week's sermon, I thought it would be really cool is not just to focus on the band of brothers uh, that were working in Colossae. I thought it would be cool to focus on the band of brothers that are working here in South Jersey. And we could look at this a couple of different ways. Uh, We could look at what are the fronts or the strategic initiatives that we have going on that God has called us to, uh, that we're taking initiative in and give you an update on those. That was one approach. But I thought it would be better for us to look more at a grassroots approach as to what is God doing around here in terms of creating doorways or opportunities for gospel proclamation? For what are the, what are the ways that the band of brothers and sisters here in South Jersey, right, are, are walking wisely with outsiders? So how is God raising up a group of kingdom workers here in South Jersey? How is he bringing gospel influence to our little corner uh, of the world? All right, so uh, I have some friends I wanna bring up here uh, so that they can share a little bit of their story. Um, So uh, if I could have uh, Carissa come on up, uh, Ron come on up, Bob come on up, uh, and let's see, Carissa, Ron, Bob, and Joey uh, come on up. Uh, You guys can come grab a seat up here. Any one of those will be fine. Joe, if you would grab that microphone. Bob, if you would grab that microphone. Appreciate it. So they're going to help me uh, tell the story of what's going on in South Jersey. And again, not from a programmatic level, right, but from a grassroots, like what do they do in bringing gospel influence uh, here in uh, here in South Jersey. So I thought it would be a great connection between what we talked about last week and then what do uh, our band of brothers and sister look like uh, look like here in uh, here in South Jersey. So uh, let me introduce them. This is Carissa Ricketts. If you don't know her, uh, she is uh, amazing. Um, this is Ron Alahi. Uh, he's a wonderful man. And this is Joey Rags. That's how we always call him, Joey Rags, Joey Ragabuto. Uh, and this is Bob Jackson. And uh, this is a fantastic group of people. One of the things I love about this group of people is they are all so very different in temperament, in personality, right? So I didn't want to get somebody up here, like all the people up here are just like in your face, super bold, loud people. And then a lot of you would be like, well, I can't do what they do. I'm nothing like that, Right? Listen, these four people, right, are very unique in their gifting. They have very different personality types, but all four of them live with the kingdom mindset. All four of them, uh, I would say, are part of a band of brothers that say, what does it look like for the gospel of Jesus to advance here in South Jersey? Um, So I want you to listen to their story, uh, and then uh, you also have an opportunity to ask them some questions. Uh, I didn't necessarily tell you guys that you're going to get asked some questions, but um, surprise, and uh, you'll, you'll do fantastic with those, I'm sure. All right, so here's my big question uh, for, for all of you. Um, so why don't we start, 
We'll start with Bob, all right? So, Bob, here's my question. Um, can you give me some insight into how you move towards outsiders? So last week, we talked about outsiders as those that are marginalized. They could be here in our congregation. They could be out in the community. But what does it look like for Bob Jackson uh, to move towards those that would be outsiders? <clears throat> My wife and I live um, just outside Center City, Millville. And uh, right now, that's kind of a tough area. So uh, predominantly, uh, we connect with our, our neighbors just by saying hi, um, talking to them, getting to know them. And um, then maybe going a little further and, and seeing, uh, once we get to know them better, if, they, if we can help them in any way. And it might, it might look like maybe bringing them food sometimes when they need it, or a ride if they don't have a, a way to a, an appointment. Um, they don't have a car, or uh, maybe even shoveling snow in the in the wintertime for somebody that's older. And then um, just through those little little steps, um, uh, we, we just kind of get to know them better where, where they, they kind of know we're different, you know, maybe like as a, you know, they might think Christian. Um, and uh, we get to, you know, pray for them. And uh, for instance, uh, there's a lady across the street that has a couple kids that we invited to Camp Grace this past summer. And uh, the kids went every day, and the mom went on the Friday. And uh, that just led to you know, us inviting them to church. And uh, so little things like that, just steps of uh, connecting with outsiders uh, by helping them. One of the things that's unique about uh, Bob's story right now is uh, Bob's responsibility is he's primary caregiver for his mom. So it's not that Bob is out and about in the community all the time. Um, so he is talking about those that live right around him and then having his eyes open to see those that live, you know, right across the street. So thanks, Bob. Um, all right, Joe, same question for you. What does it look like for you to uh, connect with and look for open doors um, for the gospel in, in Joey Rag's world? Well, it doesn't always, you know, obviously look pretty sometimes. I mainly with people, I see it on my route, my delivery route, I'm a UPS driver, so I connect with a lot of people that way. I've seen people come to faith in Christ just because of my witness, planting a seed, and I was sharing with Greg earlier, I witnessed to a woman on my route, and I was off that route for quite some time, and I had went back to cover the delivery route and she came up to me, and she was just, had this glow, and she was smiling. I'm like, hey, how are you? And, and she's like, I got to share something with you. I'm like, you gave your heart to Christ, didn't you? And I got the chills, and I just lit up. And just that leap of, you know, just boldness of faith and just sharing my faith with people in my route, my family members, it, you know, it does happen. You don't always, I guess, see the fruit you want to of mm -hmm. your labor. But it looks good. That's I love great. it. I enjoy it. Thanks, Joe. Carissa, we'll jump over to you. So uh, I know that this is, represents a deep river for you in terms of uh, your life. So can you describe what it looks like for you to walk wisely with outsiders? Um, sure. Um, I think what um, like I tend to be drawn toward people who are hurting or broken um, and tend to be on the outside. I mean, a lot of people are uh, like at church, in church, 
were anywhere, um, but they tend to um, be on the outside, on the fringe, um, kind of um, make themselves invisible, kind of, um, and kind of are asking the question, will someone pay attention to me? Will someone notice that I'm hurting? Mm. Um, so I kind of um, ask God to show me who those people are. Um, and I am a kind of person who sticks around. Um, <laughs> I am, tend to be in people's lives for a long period of time while they're hurting. A lot of times, um, like when something happens or when um, people hurt, there tend to be a large group of people that's around them for a short period of time. But then when they're like, oh no, like everyone's gone suddenly and I have all this um, stuff to walk through, I kind of am a person who is just kind of there. And I, um, I feel like I don't, I feel like I don't really do anything. <laughs> I'm just kind of um, available, uh, kind of make myself, I don't know, just um, I'm there. <laughs> um, I don't, like I invite them to things that I normally do. I do things that they normally do and I'm just around. Um, <laughs> so I feel like I don't really do much. <laughs> I'm just around. <laughs> So I, I kind of disagree with Carissa. Um, so I wanted to take a public forum to, to share that. But so Carissa does uh, very intentionally show up in people's lives. So when she says she doesn't do anything, I think what she's communicating is not that she actually doesn't do anything, but that what she does is not additional. Like she doesn't have programs that she does with people, but she shows up in uh, the intentional places uh, that they are. So the things that they're involved in, the birthday parties that they have, the, the, the recitals that they're in, and she's very intentional to put herself uh, so that her life and their life intersect. Uh, and so it's a, very, it's a very beautiful and very seemingly natural way uh, that Carissa loves, uh, loves well. Ron. Joe, if you could give him the microphone. So, Ron, um, what does this look like in, in your life to, uh, to walk through doorways, to uh, show the love of Jesus in the world that, that you're in? First of all, I want to thank the Lord that uh, he has provided me opportunity so I could share my small story with you. Uh, I have an opportunity to uh, lead a group of engineers I work with the remanufacturing industry in Philadelphia. Um, I also get chance to go on the floor, which is manufacturing floor, and meet people when there are problems on the floor in manufacturing. Um, what I have learned is this, that uh, you get to see people, you meet them, and I always will ask how you are doing. And I get to know to see them sometimes you could see they are sad, sometimes they are happy. You are able to see those expressions. And whenever they are not happy, I will always ask, what's going on? And this is what I have learned over past years, that I will say to them, I will pray for you. And I'm going to admit, sometimes I will forget. 
not praying for them. In past few years, I have changed my way. I will ask, is it okay for me to pray with you? Whether it is a 30 seconds prayer or an, a minute prayer, I will stand over there, I will be with them, I'll put my hands on their shoulders, I will pray for them. And what this has done, it has opened a door of trust. They are able to share their things with me. And occasionally they will come back and say, can you pray for me right now? I am in this trouble. So this is what I have learned and seen that this small act of prayer with one-on-one -on -one basis has really opened doors of conversation where they could see me, uh, what faith I have, and what I believe in. That is beautiful. So I, I love that we're talking about, you know, band of brothers. I had imagery of, you know, World War II, and, you know, we put maps up of, you know, the, the first century from Rome to Colossae, and now we're talking about, well, what does this actually look like? And Ron is saying when he shows up and meets with his direct reports in manufacturing work, he pays attention to an individual life, and he sees that they're hurting, and then pauses to put the hand on the shoulder and to pray over what they have going on. That's what we're talking about in terms of the kingdom of God, right? It's the kingdom of God in being infused into all those little moments of, of life. We, we like to think on the big grand scale of, you know, change the world, but, but really it's, it's about little moments. It's about uh, people who are, are marginalized that uh, there's no big news stories written about them. There's no big celebrations about them. It's in the little quiet moments of life where most people are just zooming past that we pause and say, is there, is there something of the kingdom of God here? Is there something of this life that I can be attentive to? Thank you, Ron. All right, here's a question uh, I'll throw out to you guys. Uh, what are the obstacles that you have uh, or that you face in moving towards uh, people, right, in, uh, that, that would be considered outsiders? So, um, you know, you told stories about doing that. Uh, how did you get from not doing it to doing it? Or what are some of the obstacles that you face uh, as you move towards uh, those that would be marginalized or uh, outside? I think for us, um, predominantly in the neighborhood, um, a, a lot of times I think um, on our perspective, we just need to, to pray about it. And I think just realizing that we were, we were where they were once, we were outsiders. Um, and we're not any better than them. Um, we're all just in different stages. And uh, I think for them, they, they have to trust us. So um, in our circumstances, I think just um, waving to people in the neighborhood, greeting them and helping them um, allows them to trust us. So, you know, moving towards them is more natural. So good. Anybody else want to answer that? Uh, obstacles, for me, it's myself. Just like I said earlier about being bold about it. Sometimes I get in my own way, like thinking, God, how, how am I going to do this? How, how am I going to approach mm. these people? And instead of doing that, I think, man, let me pray about this. And I ask God to, you talk about open doors, you know, give me opportunity. And I pray that I can see these opportunities yeah. to like, hey, let me engage in this person. It could be a conversation, like Ron was saying, about a simple prayer. I've met people in Wawa, you know, and like just being uh, 
attentive to, you know, people and not just get my coffee, get out of Wawa, go here, yeah. not making it about myself. So that's good. I, I hear Joe, I hear two two really significant things there. One is what you just said at the end of just not being preoccupied with just you. Right. What are, what's your agenda? What are you in there for? Right. Where you're not just self-focused. Uh, but the other one was uh, that you said at the beginning was uh, the obstacle being I don't know what to say. And maybe the I got to get it just right or I got to have the, the perfect response um, as opposed to just being willing to say, I don't I don't know. I don't have the perfect response, but I'm going to step into conversation. I'm going to step into dialogue. Absolutely. Yeah, it's good. Good. Yeah, good. Um, probably for me, one of the biggest obstacles is knowing who, because there are hurting people everywhere. Um, I think knowing who to um, give my time to, or that sounds awful, but um, so I, I constantly am asking God, like, where do you want me to be? Who do you want me to be with? Um, and yeah, that's a big one, just asking God to show me, and a lot of times it is um, like an opportunity arises or um, somebody comes to me or whatever. So, um, yeah, asking God constantly, where do you want me? Good, good. I, I, let, me, let me move us on to another question um, because Chris said something earlier in the service uh, that, was, that was pretty significant. He said that often we think that God just simply wants something from us. Right, so we, we have a message like this, and that's exactly what could be communicated, that God just has stuff that he wants from us. Um, but the reality is, is we are designed to love others, right? So the best way for us to live um, is described up here, right, in terms of serving others, moving towards others with this gift of, of the truth of, of what Jesus has offered us. So my question then for you um, is what has God done in you or for you as you have been willing to move towards outsiders, right? Like, how has that impacted, how has that impacted you personally um, to have the disposition of the heart that I'm willing to go outside of what's comfortable for me and move towards someone else? How has that impacted you? First, I want to go back to your previous question, the obstacles, especially where I work, there are different religions, people uh, have different religions. I will be very careful. I'm not there to preach or I'm not there to convince them or impose something. I will always ask them, hey, whatever your faith is, do that one according to your faith. But I'm going to share what I have and the peace which I enjoy due to my faith, and that's how I've seen the doors get open. So that helps me to open those doors. Sometimes uh, things are not, they won't go well, but majority of the time I have seen the doors get open. Good, good. Go Bob. I think um, <clears throat> what God's um, kind of done in me is, uh, as I moved towards other people, I realized how um, inadequate I am at, at um, doing those things. So, um, and how adequate God is. So He's really bridged the gap, and that's a, a big thing He's done in me. Is just that um, I, I can do all things through Christ. So even though I can't do it, 
I just trust in him. So I think he's given me trust in, in him more and more. Hmm. Hmm. So as you step in to what is uncomfortable, your trust increases. Uh, just, I guess, uh, for me, it's um, the, the faith, yeah, is growing. And uh, just my confidence level of, like, yeah, I want to approach this person, you know, like, just willing to do it more and more often, you know, mm. start small, small steps, and it just grows and gets bigger and bigger. So just willing to go out and just talk to anybody, you know, like I said, the different places where you're at, Ron does it at work, he does it in his neighborhood, Bob does it in his neighborhood, Chris meets people, you know, all over the place, just wanting to be in the right spot at the right time where God wants you, um, you know, it's, and just to see the conversations that take place, yeah. it, it definitely helps your faith. Yeah, and I, and I think you guys watching Joe answer questions, it's obvious that there's a sense of joy for him in, you know, in these interactions and in the, the delight of, of being part of um, uh, something so precious as that. Um, so uh, let me ask another question here. Do you sense the Spirit leading you to connect with someone, or typically um, do you have to seek them out? Uh, let me see if I can rephrase that one. So do you sense the spirit leading you, so maybe in isolation, right, that you uh, would, would move towards someone, um, or uh, is it in interacting with people and they would seek you out? How does that, how does that work for you guys? I think for me, definitely, I feel the, the spirit leading me to connect. Um, to just... Um, it's, he's pretty clear, uh, I think, when I'm supposed to talk to somebody. Yeah. So for me, that's how that works. Good. And, if, and then if I don't listen, then he comes back. <laughs> yeah, I will say that, uh, yes, when you see those kind of situations, um, as person, in, as myself, it will, behind the mind, I will get a call saying that you need to do it. There are different ways to do it. Uh, that's how I will handle it. I will handle it. At least I want to approach that individual, uh, not from my faith base, but in different areas, how I can help that individual. So your disposition is just, I'm going to approach people, and then as you approach, then you would kind of discern uh, what God would be leading you to next. Correct. Okay, good. That's great. Great. All right, last question. Uh, and then Chris is going to come up and close. Uh, how would you approach bringing someone back to God who has lost faith in him? I would imagine as you move towards people that would be marginalized, there's a reason that they are. There's uh, often a point of pain or confusion or uh, maybe in this example, a, a loss of faith. So uh, what, uh, how would you, uh, what, what words of counsel would you offer uh, someone who would be approaching someone uh, and bringing them back to God? I will say it's a challenging situation. It's not that easy. And you cannot, within one conversation or within uh, a week or so, you can change that environment uh, or the situation in which the, uh, that individual is. But it's a slow and gradual process. But you don't give up. You keep on doing small acts which will help that 
individual to come back and understand. And I always share my examples and what Lord has done in my life mm. as things which will refresh that mm. one. That's good. Even if an individual who is suffering or has lost faith, I will always say, okay, due to a loss of a loved one in your family, you don't, you are away from the Lord, but look at what God has done in other different ways. So I always take those, I use those examples. I will share mine examples. Mine examples are all filled with grace of the Lord, what he has done in my life. That's so good, Ron. Because I think all of us um, have wrestled with faith, if we're honest, right? We all have a faith journey. And at times, um, it's the sun is shining and faith seems to be very accessible. Uh, but there's other times where you've, you've had unmet expectations from the Father um, and you're disappointed with God. And so if you've journeyed through that personally uh, and you've been honest with yourself through that faith journey, uh, then you have a wealth of your story uh, that you're able to share as you do that. You gonna say something, Krista? Yeah, I was just gonna say, um, I think I just, I let them say what they are feeling, say what they need to say and um, like walk down that road with them um, and along the way, I think what Ron was saying of like sharing what God has done and is doing in your life um, that has something to do with their their story, but like not just like cutting them off or like, well, God says blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, I think just letting them get it all out because I think sometimes we just need to feel it and mm -hmm. own it. Um, but always bringing like what God is doing in my life or something of who God is related to what is going on with them. Good. Well, guys, I wanna thank you for being willing to stand up here and, or sit up here and tell some of your story uh, and to give us a real life examples of the way that the kingdom of God is advancing uh, here in South Jersey. So will you thank them uh, with me? Good, you can have a seat. I have like 10 tweets from Ron's story that I'll share later. I'm kidding, that was awesome. So here's what I wanna say. Uh, what I just heard was fantastic descriptions of people doing exactly what Jesus would do. He moved according to faith, step into situations with people and say, hey, what do you need? What do you, he, would, he would ask that question, what do you want me to do for you? Or, hey, can I ask you a question? And they would have these conversations. So when they move according to faith, these doors of trust would open and amazing things would happen. Um, so I want to encourage you, take that with you. Um, so as a church body, uh, we can come, we can hear a message like that and go, oh, that sounds pretty good. And you're like, there's some biblical base behind that. And you know, see ya, you know, going home. So we wanted to change it up a little bit this week. We want to, uh, I borrowed this uh, thing from another church. They have a, a five-minute rule at the end of their services where they challenge their church to spend five minutes talking to people that they don't know. So we're talking about moving towards people we don't know. Uh, the Bible called them outsiders. Uh, if they're outside your circle, move towards them. So we're actually going to put a timer on the screen. You can do it in here. You can do it out in the lobby. Uh, you can do it over a cup of coffee. 
Take five minutes and talk to some people that you have not met yet. Practice moving according to faith, and let's see what doors of trust open, all right? So if you're one of those germophobes, don't be afraid to say, hey, I'm just gonna put some hand sanitizer on first. You're good to go, all right? But I just wanna give you some time to do that because we're gonna practice here so that it becomes normal out there. Make sense? So let me pray for you. Let's stand together and we'll close in prayer. So Jesus, I wanna thank you for this opportunity to hear what a band of brothers here in South Jersey is doing to share the love of, of Jesus, to talk about who you are. Uh, there are people dropping packages off that are coming to Christ. There are people designing instrumentation to run things in this world that are having opportunities to pray. There are neighbors across the street that are having opportunities to interact with a believer. And there are people who are hurting or might go unnoticed that are getting very intentional ministry to process what's going on in their lives. God, I pray for those kind of stories to be normal around this church family. So help us and strengthen us as we step into faith and open some doors of trust. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, guys, so to help you, we're going to put a little countdown on.